Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 142 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you doing in uh, your quarantines? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Can't complain. Uh, A lot of video calls, uh, a lot of time to read, so that's nice. But yeah, I mean, we're reaching the point where uh, it's been a long time. Let's just say that. Yeah. I heard that you read two books in a day. Whoa. I finished a book and I read a whole nother book in a day. So it's really reading one book in a day with some bonus stuff. But it was like, like, I read probably the entire third section of Redwall and then all of Old Man and the Sea. So while that sounds impressive, if you actually game that out, it's not necessarily the craziest reading day ever, but not bad. I'm pretty proud of myself. It's impressive. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I've recently made a purchase that's made my time in quarantine or shelter in place uh, a lot easier, and that's the purchase of a Nintendo Switch. Oh, nice. I have borrowed The Legend of Zelda from Dylan uh, in a way that's very safe for both of us to come into contact with each other. It has already been a little bit detrimental to my reading habits, I will not lie, because it's very tempting, but it's, it's helping me pass the time. Anybody out there thinking about getting one, just do it. Just just get a Switch. Why not? Are you someone who can play a game and listen to an audiobook at the same time? I don't I haven't played the Zelda game, so I don't know how much you need the sound for it. I have discovered my limit and my limit is podcast. I can listen to a podcast that I like don't super need to pay attention to and play at the same time. I just cannot do both. Zelda for me at least is a game where I'm like constantly thinking about what to do next, like swing sword or jump off cliff, you know, decisions like that. They're Pretty high stakes, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> the kind of decisions you make every day. Mm-hmm. I also have a Switch. I've been playing... I don't know exactly the word for this, but I feel like I often live in this world on this podcast, which is not nerdy, but like kind of jockey. Mm. And in the world of our podcast that comes across as nerdy, it's like... <laughs> Coming all the way back around. <laughs> um, but I've been playing uh, the NBA 2K20 game. I normally don't really just play the game, but I get really invested in creating like the My Player. So I've created my own <laughs> player named Bob Balaban. <laughs> <laughs> and he is the greatest basketball player of all time somehow. Sounds fun. Nice. I've had a similar experience, which is I've gotten very into Animal Crossing on the Switch. AKA the game that was designed for Bailey. Yeah. Nothing can hurt me on my island. Today I spent the day planting trees in precise grids. Then I was gathering all these tools and I set up a tool area in precise grids. And it's great. And my phone told me my screen time was down, but that was a lie because it just doesn't know about the switch. It doesn't know about your side piece, the switch. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It is weird how like I assumed that I would be able to listen to podcasts at the same time as playing, but I'll look up and like three hours have passed and I haven't been listening to anything. I've just been running around collecting weeds and wood from my trees. So I don't know. Does the mechanic of puzzle assembly exist in the world of Animal Crossing? Her floor is a jigsaw puzzle. I did earn the jigsaw puzzle floor, but that but I didn't have to set it up. No, it's weird because it's essentially you're doing chores, but you're just like putting everything in its right place. 
And it's just like life. That's just the kind of video game where I'm like, I, I can't fathom it. It does to me. It sounds like, wait a minute, like that's the stuff that I put off doing in my real life. I'm not like, oh, I should slay Ganon, but I just don't have time today. But it, it's lower stakes than that. It's like, okay, you've assembled all of the materials to build the Island Museum, but it takes two days for the Island Museum to be built. So you just have to hang around and do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something I'd need to try. I'm having I'm having a similar reaction to Toby where I just can't quite make my brain understand it. I'm telling you guys, it's magic. Okay, so that's how we're keeping sane. <laughs> yeah, sounds like sounds like we're all reading a ton of books, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've read almost all of Daisy Jones as well. So There you go. I've actually been reading quite a bit. <laughs> I read Redwall. Dylan read Redwall in like 3 hours. Whoa. That's impressive. It took me like a solid week to read Redwall. Redwall. That's <laughs> a hard word it's to say. <laughs> it, yeah. It took me a solid uh, week to read Red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, I read one book called Well Met by Jen DeLuca. It is the perfect thing for quarantine, guys. This is the one I bought that was hashtag shame, not shame, where I got it from like my local bookstore to support them. It's a romance set at a renaissance fair and it's like a hate turned love sort of romance very steamy i read it in a day very distracting five stars and there's a sequel right or is the sequel not out yet well it's going to be a trilogy but it's one of those sequels i don't know if it counts as a sequel where it so the first book is about two characters and then the next book is one of the supporting characters becomes the lead in the next one sounds like the simon verse yes the simalaxy uh, also, I wanted to say thank you to everybody for the congratulations about our pregnancy. People are very nice and excited for us, and that's been good. And I hope you guys enjoyed our April Fool's episode. We got some feedback that it took people a little bit of time. We had a lot of people <laughs> congratulating us on 600 episodes, and I was like, oh, no, no, no. Did did it tip no one off when the episode started and I said, hi, my name's Bailey? I have a hard time he- telling between the two of you. Yet another podcast where everyone's voice sounds the same, huh? All right, well, let's get into the episode. This is our first episode of the To Read List Book Club. But first, we have to check in with Andrew. Andrew, what book did you read this week? I read The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway, or as I wrote in my notes, The Old Bro in the Sea. Fish, fish, fish. Fish, fish, fish. I bet it's a lot like Animal Crossing because you fish in Animal Crossing. (laughs) Uh, So I read The Old Man in the Sea. I'd had this book on my shelf for a really long time. I loved Farewell to Arms. I loved uh, Sun Also Rises. I read a lot of Hemingway. Uh, But this one, I had just never gotten around to picking up. So I was excited to get the chance. To give you a little bit of context about the book, uh, The Old Man in the Sea is a short novel that follows Santiago, an old fisherman, as he struggles to catch a gigantic marlin off the coast of Cuba where he lives. While brief in page count and low on plot twists, The Old Man in the Sea contains themes of perseverance, hope, and the importance of human kindness. And that's my little uh, blurb about The Old Old Man in the Sea. So, to give you a little more context about the plot, there's not a lot. <laughs> it's basically just that Santiago, the old fisherman, goes out to catch a fish. He has a, a young friend whose um, name is Manolin, uh, but he does not go out with him. He Santiago hasn't caught a fish in 84 days, so he's considered unlucky, or Salau, um, which is like the worst form of unluckiness. So, Manolin's parents have refused to let him go out with the old man anymore because they're like, you're not bringing in any fish, you're not bringing in any money. But Manolin really cares for Santiago and does a lot of like things around the house for him and make sure he's okay. So there's still like a really close relationship, even though he's not allowed to be his helper anymore. And the thrust of the story is when Santiago goes out on his own to try to catch a fish and ends up 
being towed very far away from shore by one of the biggest marlins he's ever uh, encountered. To tell you more about what happened would be to spoil the like few surprises that are in the book. But all that said, it's really beautiful, and I was really affected by it. And I really enjoyed having the opportunity to read this book, especially sort of in this quarantined world we're living in because it was sweet, it was small, and I could wrap my head around all of it. And it was sort of escapist because he goes out into the vastness of the sea, and that's very different than the apartment I'm stuck in. Nice. Um, To put a couple finer points on what I really liked, it was clean and quick, both with the prose and the plot. I mean, Hemingway is famous for his quick sentences, and this is no different. It gets right to the point, and to that end, I'd like to read the first paragraph of the book, um, which on my copy starts on page nine. Um, This is the first paragraph, and you're just dropped in, and you know everything you need to know to get going. All right, first paragraph. He was an old man who fished alone in a skiff in the Gulf Stream, and he had gone 84 days now without taking a fish. In the first 40 days, a boy had been with him, but after 40 days without a fish, the boy's parents had told him that the old man was definitely and finally Salau, which is the worst form of unlucky, and the boy had gone on their orders in another boat and caught three good fish in the first week. It made the boy sad to see the old man come in each day with his skiff empty, and he always went down to help him carry either the coiled lines or the gaff and harpoon, and the sail was furled about the mass. The sail was patched with flour sacks and furled. It looked like the flag of permanent defeat. So that's your first paragraph. You pretty much now know all the characters, and you know the entire setup, and you're off to the races. Uh, we hadn't been introduced to the fish yet. Yeah, I was going to say, is the next line, Mr. Fish swam lonely. <laughs> <laughs> the fish is more of a revealed thing so you know you can't get all your surprises out on the on the first page the fish is more of the metaphor the fish is the spanish civil war i think the man versus fish conflict is very clear yeah there's three types of narrative conflict man versus himself man versus man man versus fish but yeah to continue like my prose i genuinely got caught up in the drama of the story which i mean is as simple as is he going to catch this fish or not and is he going to be able to get home after he's gone so far um and i was surprised by that because everything i knew about sort of the popular culture of this book is that it's short and it's just about a guy fishing um so i was genuinely surprised to have such an emotional attachment to the story because i basically knew what i was getting into and i still was like sort of glued to the edge of my seat um as i was reading and i was really taken in by the relationship between uh santiago and madeline the old man and the boy and i'd like to share one more brief quote to that effect from page 17 the boy and the man have returned to the old man's house it's a description of his house on the brown walls there was a picture in the color of the sacred heart of jesus and another of the virgin of cobra these were relics of his wife once there had been a tinted photograph of his wife on the wall but he had taken it down because it made him too lonely to see it and it was on the shelf in the corner under his clean shirt what do you have to eat the boy asked a pot of yellow rice with fish do you want some No, I will eat at home. Do you want me to make the fire? No, I'll make it later on, or I may eat the rice cold. May I take the cast net? Of course. There was no cast net, and the boy remembered when they had sold it, but they went through this fiction every day. There was no pot of yellow rice and fish, and the boy knew this too. Yeah, it's a really touching relationship that the boy is just going through the motion to make sure that the old man can sort of keep up his pride, but also he makes sure that he's safe and like cared for every day. So I found that really touching. I'm not crying. (laughs) and so yeah i don't have a lot of orcs there's like one or two moments where the book is you can tell is a book of its times and like it's a little uncomfortable because it was written in the early 50s but like not enough to to really sour it for me Mm -hmm. so yeah i i ended up coming away from this book really glad to have the chance to read it and really happy with it and it was a five-star book for me oh nice 
five fishes. Yeah, first five star in a while for me, I think. I can't remember what my last one was. Wow, this is exciting. I'm picturing you like on a dock, like holding up the book as if you're holding up the fish you caught and being like, look what I did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is only a 140 page book with some of the largest type I've ever seen. So it's not an impressive thing that I have read this book. But yeah, I was was really happy with it. But it's good that you like you said that you've had it on your shelf for however long and now you finally read it. So that's great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So five stars for me. I will definitely keep it on my shelf. I can see rereading this again because it is so easy to reread. I imagine someday in like a few years, I'll be like, oh, I'm in the mood to check that out again. So yeah, if you have this copy laying around your house, now's the right time. It's quick. Go for it. Toby, do you have any facts about Hemingway? I know we've already done facts before, but any, you know, new things. Uh, yeah, it just struck me right now that we might be doubling up some of these facts, but we did do that episode a long time ago, so... It was actually our first episode that had reviews in it, so it was episode two. Ooh. So, it's been a while. It, you know what? You've probably forgotten all those facts, because I forgot them all. These are all new to me. Uh, so, I do have facts. Um, Ernest Miller Hemingway was born July 21st, 1899, uh, and he died on July 2nd, 1961. He wrote in a very understated and direct style, um, which he coined the term for called iceberg theory, in that you read one-tenth of the story and nine-tenths of it is uh, below the surface, so to speak. If you've ever read any Hemingway, then you will recognize his work for that. He had an adventurous lifestyle, and he had a big public image for the big years that he was writing, who's kind of a famous figure. And he won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 19. 1954. He was born and raised in Oak Park, Illinois. He was a reporter after high school for a few months for the Kansas City Star, but then he left for the Italian front um, and worked as an ambulance driver in World War One. He uh, was wounded in 1918 and returned home, and his experience uh, there formed the plot and inspiration for A Farewell to Arms, which he wrote in 1929. Over the course of his lifetime, he married four different women and ended up dedicating a very famous book to each wife, uh, which is kind of a a bizarre fun fact about him. At least there's not one who didn't get one. Yeah, that's true. That would be worse if they were just like... (laughs) Three out of four got a very famous book, and you got a short story. So if you all remember uh, Bailey's review of A Movable Feast, um, that was about his time with his first wife, Hadley Richardson, and he moved in 1921 with her to Paris, where he worked as a foreign correspondent. Um, His debut novel, The Sun Also Rises, huge hit, was published in 1926. So he lived in Paris for a while, but then he moved back to the States. Uh, for a while, he lived in Key West, Florida, in Cuba for the 40s and 50s. I believe he wrote The Old Man of the Sea in Cuba while he was living there. Um, he almost died in 1954 after he had two plane crashes in two days. Wow left him in a lot of pain and ill health. So in 1959, he bought a house in Ketchum, Idaho, uh, and he ended his own life in 1961. Um, That is the kind of summary of his life. Now, so here's a couple fun facts from uh, a Mental Floss article. He earned the Italian Silver Medal of Valor and a Bronze Star for his ambulance driving service in Italy during World War I. He was badly wounded by mortar fire, but he managed to help Italian soldiers reach safety. Uh, This earned him the Italian Silver Medal of Valor. Uh, Then about 30 years later, Later, the U.S. awarded him a bronze star for courage displayed while he was covering the European theater of World War II as a journalist. So he has he's twice bedecked with medals. His permanent resident in Key West uh, featured a urinal from his favorite bar. While he was there, he had his favorite bar called Sloppy Joe's. He found out one day that it was being renovated, so he went down there and grabbed a urinal to take it home and install in his own house. And there's a, a quote that may or may not actually have been said by him, uh, where he said he'd already poured enough money into
into the urinal to make it his. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, here's a cu- another couple of facts from factinate.com. In 1954, Hemingway won the Nobel Prize for Literature for The Old Man in the Sea. He decided to donate the medal to the people of Cuba and gave the medal to the Catholic Church to display the sanctuary in El Cobre. Uh, but in 1986, the medal was stolen, but Raul Castro went to the public and made an ultimatum to the thieves demanding its return, and it was anonymously returned. So as of now, Cuba keeps the Nobel Prize, but it is not on display anymore, so to avoid it being stolen again. I bet the big fish took it. But then returned it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, spat it back out. This is a kind of bizarre claim, but I really like it. Uh, over the course of his life, a couple of times he claimed that he had thin eyelids that allowed the early morning light in through them. And that's why he was always up at dawn. That's, that's just a, weird. a thing that he said. It's specific. It sounds like something that like your suspicious boyfriend would say when you're like, why are you always up at dawn? And be like, oh, I just got these thin eyelids, you know. Okay. And then my last fact is um, The Old Man in the Sea was adapted into a very famous movie starring Spencer Tracy, uh, and Hemingway really, really didn't like it. He specifically disliked Spencer Tracy, who is most of the movie, obviously. Um, And he said, quote, that Tracy looked less like a Cuban fisherman and more like the rich old actor he was. But Tracy was nominated for an Oscar for the performance, so we'll be the judge of that. That is very, like, whitewashed casting there. yeah. And uh, those are my facts about Ernest Hemingway. Hopefully not all of them were covered in our earlier Hemingway episode. I don't think so. I think there's some no, new No, I mean, ones. it was like our first episode, so I think we didn't really have the whole rhythm down. So I, I think those are definitely mostly new. All right. Well, great facts, Toby. Good job. And good review, Andrew. Uh, now, guys, it's that time. The time you've all been waiting for. It's exciting. This is the inaugural To Read List Book Club. Da-da-da-da! Da-da-da-da! Bump, 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 bump. So my question is, well, first of all, we're covering the book you voted for, Redwall by Brian Jakes. You picked it, guys. And now you're going to find out if I have the same love for it that Toby does. But my question is, should I share the listener's feedback first or should I share my feedback first? Uh, I think I'm curious to find listener feedback first, but I just want to reiterate for everyone listening. I think all four of us, this is a first, all four of us read this book this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the past, we'd all read the book, but we hadn't all recently read or reread it. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So since we all read it, let's do the progressive plot thing where like I'll give a sentence and we'll go through all four. So I'll start. Redwall is a middle grade fantasy novel starring a mouse named Matthias who lives in Redwall Abbey in a fantasy world. Um, the plot, uh, okay, I'll say Redwall Abbey is a famous place of safety and peace, but it is disturbed when the marauding rat Clooney the Scourge comes looking to take it over. The typically peaceful mice of the Abbey led by Matthias must learn how to defend themselves in a way that they never have before and protect themselves from the scourge that approaches. (laughs) So Matthias embarks on a quest to uh, retrieve Martin the Warrior's sword, a famous mouse warrior from days of yore? <laughs> I don't think I care for the way you said mouse warrior. It sounded derisive. You're not going to care for a lot of what I have to say about this book. <laughs> Dylan has a lot of opinions about this book. We're going to um, we're gonna have a section called Dylan's Spot in the Abbey where <laughs> he can just <laughs> go wild. So we got a, a few reviews. We got like three reviews and then a few questions. So my thought is we'll do the people's reviews then I can share my thoughts, then we can all answer the questions. Cool, cool. That sounds good to me. Cool. Uh, First, Alex writes in, 
I hope everything's good with you as you stay home, and my thanks to you guys for bringing Redwall to my attention. I get why Toby keeps bringing it up now. I just posted my review on Goodreads. I love this book. The only thing I'd change about it is to have found it back when it first came out. School-aged me would have loved it even more. The tone is very British. Again, I was way into Python in school, and the Redwall world fits right in there, although not as silly. It's kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign with mice. Osmodius, anyone? Nice. Or Game of Thrones with mice, but no brothels and such. Kind of secret of him. <laughs> oh, I would have been in heaven. Just a great chapter book, great description, so many great characters. Basil Staghair stands out for me, and great adventure. At the end of some chapters, I'd cheer or laugh or buckle down for the next. A great read that's tons of fun. That's from Alex. Alex, you rock. So Toby gives the nod of approval to Alex. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried. I can already tell that Dylan has opinions. I'm worried this is going to ruin our friendships. <laughs> I feel like Bailey gave fed me a positive one, and now she's going to feed me a negative one. Well, I'm just reading what we got in. All right, next one from Christina. So glad you all are finally doing a Redwall episode. I discovered this series in fifth grade because my teacher had a few of the books in her classroom library. And I proceeded to- That's exactly, to f- sorry, but that's exactly how I just, I think, yeah, in grade school, I found this because it was literally on like the classroom shelf. Aww, sorry, continue. That's cute. Um, and I proceeded to follow the series for years. I found that I clearly kept reading these books long into high school based on the publication dates and the point at which I stopped recognizing the titles. I'd never had any, del- any delusions of being cool in high school, but things like this really enforced the fact. I reread, <laughs> I reread Redwall this February and was pleasantly surprised at how well it holds up. Granted, I found all the riddle-solving sections to be a bit cringy, and I think I prefer Mossflower, which I am currently rereading overall. But this book lays the groundwork for many of the overarching strengths of the series. Matthias is not my favorite hero in the series, and how is he so good at fighting without anyone teaching him or any practice? But others like Basil Staghair and Clooney the Scourge more than make up for it. Overall, I just find this world of amazing beasts, hilarious wars, and ingenious mole engineers to be really delightful. I gave this book five stars on Goodreads, though it's probably more of a 4.5 for me. The fact that it builds the world for a series I love so much made me round up. Yes. Toby's still on board. Uh-oh, what's going to be our third one? Rule of threes. Uh, Christina also said that she was part of the uh, Redwall fan club. Oh. Cute. All right. This last one is from Andrew and my mom. Uh-oh. Mom writes, <laughs> <laughs> so I finished Redwall and liked it very much. It clearly is YA, which, like really good YA, teaches vocabulary, life lessons, and the power of good over evil. I particularly enjoyed the characterization, which was memorable and touching. I will never look at a mouse the same way again, and I won't be (laughs) as mad at the hedgehog when it eats my lettuce. Hooray, brave Martin slash Matthias, who is. Rating four will keep on my iBooks. Nice. All right. I was expecting one of these to be, like, vicious. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And then Dylan wrote in. (laughs) And then Dylan wrote in. So we got really positive reviews. People really like this book. Um, I would say that, hmm, should I reveal my review? Yeah. Yeah, it's time, Bailey. It's time. Time to end the friendships. (laughs) Well, my review, I think, is more mixed. um, And I think Dylan's review is more negative. So (laughs) I will go first as the mixed review. Um, There's a lot I like about this book. I disagree about Basil Staghair. I can't stand him. (laughs) He's very annoying. Really? <laughs> I, I hate him. Would you have found him annoying when you were a child, though? Yes. He's a rabbit that wears a cod piece and says what what a lot. Is it mentioned he wears a cod piece? I can't remember that. It's illustrated very clearly. It's illustrated in my copy. Oh, God. <laughs> but I really love Clooney the Scourge. He is so extra. He is so evil. Mm-hmm. Um, 
here, I will read a description of Clooney for the, for the world to experience. Clooney, who has lived in legend of this podcast so far. Oh, this is so good. This is just the beginning of chapter two. I'm just going to read it. The high, warm sun shone down on Clooney the Scourge. Clooney was coming. He was big and tough, an evil rat with ragged fur and curved, jagged teeth. He wore a black eye patch. His eye had been torn out in battle with a pike. Clooney had lost an eye. The pike had lost its life. (laughs) Some said that Clooney was a Portuguese rat. Others said he came from the jungles far across the wide oceans. Nobody knew for sure. Clooney was a bilge rat, the biggest, most savage rodent that ever jumped from ship to shore. He was black, with gray and pink scars all over his huge, sleek body, from the tip of his wet nose, up past his green and yellow slitted eye, across both his mean, tattered ears, down the length of his heavy, vermin-ridden back, to the enormous whip-like tail, which had earned him his title, Clooney the Scourge! To be clear, there's a lot of exclamation points in that description. Yeah. Well, in the whole book, he's pretty liberal with exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, like, he's so extra. He's so evil. He just keeps killing his own followers for, like, really stupid things. Um, and I did love Clooney a lot. My other elves. There were a lot of, like my mom said, there's positive messages about following your heart and being yourself and acquiring knowledge. I thought was interesting. I also just want to say that my copy, which I picked up at a library book sale, has a note written in the front. (laughs) It says, To Brian, always remember, reading can take you anywhere. Love, Mrs. Heim, 6603. P.S. I believe in you. Oh, no. (laughs) So why why did he donate this book? Um, Maybe Brian's just not sentimental and was moving into a small L.A. apartment. Maybe Brian's on Dylan's side of the review. Maybe Brian hated. Or maybe he didn't earn her belief. But I think you know that just shows that it's a it's a book that inspires. I'm sure a lot of young people, especially I think young boys. Um, Okay, so now let's do my orcs. Your badgers and snakes. Oh, badgers! That reminds me, I like Constance. Constance knows what's up. She's the one badger, and she just like gets everything done. Constance is dope. Constance rules. Yeah, she's the best. Okay, I'm just going to run through some of my orcs. Here's the thing. I feel like this book lacks a lot of logic and plot. As an adult, I noticed that. As a kid, I wouldn't. To me, the book reads like when I would babysit for kids, and they'd be like, tell me a bedtime story. And would be like, okay, what do you want the story to be about? A mouse who has a sword. All right. And then I would just make it up as I go along. Because a lot of the things aren't consistent like for example Matthias in the opening is awkward and can't walk in his sandals and then like a few chapters later he's like Jon Snow teaching all of the mice how to fight and I'm like what happened there his sandals were too big Bailey okay but I mean he was definitely characterized (laughs) as like a young mouse that like aspires to be great but isn't great but then all of a sudden he is great that's super fair I remember like it even seems like in the opening chapter he seems like a if you were to put like a human age on him he seems like he would be like nine or ten years old yeah and in the next chapter he seems like he's like 18 years old yes I agree um also just in general the way the plot is structured is like Clooney shows up to the abbey right away but then Instead of fighting Clooney, Matthias goes off on this quest to find a sword. But my thought is like, why getting the sword? How is that going to save the day? But like, it just didn't connect to me. It felt very like sort of stream of consciousness. But the world is really good. I do have a lot of issues with conceptualizing the world because the size of the creatures <laughs> doesn't line up for me. Like if Constance is a badger, 
she could just like destroy all these mice. The fox to rat was the yeah. one that was hardest to me. This fits into my theory that Brian Jacks has never seen a mouse before. <laughs> I can jump in here and say that a lot of this stuff you're mentioning, and I'm sure you're going to mention one more thing. Basically, like, this is the first book he ever wrote, and all of this stuff, like, it definitely gets ironed out, and the size thing is the biggest thing. And it is one of those things, when you read it when you're a kid, you just do not question it at all. And Mm -hmm. it kind of makes, like, a bizarre, like, he does throw out little references to, like, who's bigger than who, but I will say he fixes that in later books. Not that he, like, makes them their realistic sizes, but it's much more consistent and easy to visualize, because this one is super confusing but only as an adult really i think 99.9 of children they just take it because most children don't know what a stoat is they don't know what a ferret is they're just like okay yeah that's fair i mean i don't really know how a snake picks up a sword yeah i mean but yeah no that makes sense i also my edition has these illustrations that are a little bit creepy because mice are walking on two legs some of the mice are like kind of sexy it's weird (laughs) i have not seen these I, i also think the way the sparrows talk is like racist. I don't know to whom, but it's just very like, very like Jar Jar Binks speak. And I don't like that. Uh, yeah, I, I never really thought about it being like that. I mean, we are in a fantasy world where animals are talking to each other. I don't know. They're not like depicted as being racist characters. It's not, I don't it's not think. racist. It's like Jar Jar Binks, like me do this. Like, why does why is the sparrow dumber than the mouse? I don't think they're supposed to be dumber than the mice. It's supposed to be a different language that's hard to understand, but I agree just the way it came across. And because they seem to be like a little more primitive, I felt a little uncomfortable with it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Whereas like the moles like have either, I couldn't tell exactly what accent he was going for, if it was Cockney or like Liverpudlian, but they have like an extreme English accent, which comes through in the writing. Whereas this one felt a little bit more like, yeah, Jar Jar Binks is a good comparison. Yeah. I mean, these are all picky things. Like, like I said, this is just what kept me from being, you know, completely caught up in the book. And that's just because I was an adult. Like if I read this as a kid, probably this wouldn't affect me. Ultimately, my review is three stars. I mean, I went between three and four, but, you know, I had enough critiques and I don't feel compelled to read the next one. So to me, that's a three. That's a bummer because they get better for sure. As I mentioned, this is his first one. And so it's very much like, let's publish this. We'll see if it is any good, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, it really took off. And he definitely like took some notes, especially about like female characters and logic and plot holes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And he keeps all the good stuff and edits out a lot of the weak points, in my opinion. Would I have to read, like, number two next, or can I go to Mossflower, because Christina recommended Mossflower? Isn't Mossflower two? Mossflower is two. Oh, is it? Uh, Yeah, but Mossflower is technically a prequel. Basically, Mossflower is the story of the, the setting of Redwall before Redwall exists, and Martin the Warrior comes to town and finds uh, the land of Mossflower Wood ruled over by these wildcats, and he, mm-hmm. like, helps out. It's basically like Shane, but with a mouse. Well, that sounds more interesting, because I think Martin the Warrior was a better character than Matthias. Fight me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think his editor for the second draft sent him a Wikipedia article of, like, this is what a mouse looks like? So I think I live somewhere in between Bailey and Toby, where I had a lot of the same quibbles as Bailey, but was able to push them out of my head really quickly and just chalk it up to being, if I had read this when I was 10 years old, none of that would have mattered. Mm -hmm. And so I gave it four stars. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'll read the second one right away, but you know, maybe down the line. But yeah, so I I live somewhere between a a Bailey and a Toby. All right, Dylan. End our friendship. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's let him out. Let's visit Dylan's corner of the Abbey. 
which, by the way, is normal human size. <laughs> um, as you can tell from my ongoing struggles with Harry Potter, I do not do well with fantasy. It's because you're dead inside. Yeah, because I'm dead inside. And, and like, young me was even worse at this. That it's not that I don't... It's not, like, imagination, but, like, it will stop everything it's doing. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. How does that work, though? Or, like, what are the rules of that? So this book was a nightmare for me. He kept looking up and, and yelling at me. Not yelling, but being like, wait, how big is how big is a ferret skull? How could he have a ferret skull around his head? Yeah. and Oh, wow. I feel bad because I think I might have poisoned the well even a little bit more for Bailey. Because, like, for the past, I, I read it in the past 24 hours. So I'm sure she's just been hearing me from the other room yelling about, like, uh, there's times where, like, the mouse then got on his horse and rode away. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> there's horses here? <laughs> There's other people, but, um, and Bailey mentioned this in her thing, but the whole quest for the sword and Clooney's idea to steal the tapestry mm-hmm. kept not bumping me, but like, that doesn't matter right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were spending a lot of time doing riddles while they were currently under siege. Yeah, I think that's the problem. If they had moved Clooney's arrival to the third act. Yeah, like then... if Clooney's coming and I, I yeah. like, Clooney was so smart like three out of five times mm-hmm. and then every once in a while he would do something really dumb or he'd have like a very impulsive idea and i was like dude why are you in charge like but also this is the fact that i have no joy in my heart so how many stars <laughs> would you give yeah, it? i think it's mostly your joylessness i i mean i'd give it i'd give it two stars but Ooh. because like i think so i like again for people like me that <laughs> what a- adults who have no soul <laughs> <laughs> or or nerdy kids that care way too much about story structure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like our, our listeners are going to be mad at me and Dylan, but oh well. All right, Toby, we'll, how about you do a little rebuttal, and then we'll go to questions from our listeners. Perfect. I, I've spoken enough about Redwall over the episodes. You guys know I love it. Um, having reread it now, I will say there's a huge glaring mistake in the promotion of this book and the general perception of this book. I would not classify this as a YA book. I would classify this as a children's book. I mean, like elementary school children. There are some like reaching vocabulary words for sure that if I was like reading this with an elementary schooler, I would have to look up look up the words with them. But the themes, the language, the very obvious plot, like the really simple riddles that they solve, the characterization, it's all like elementary school level to me. Except for all of the death. Like Clooney kills a lot of people. Yeah, he does I, kill a lot I of people. Think I think we're a little bit more squeamish these days than even we've been in recent memory. That's that's like personal taste. Some people have a problem with all the violent death. Mm. It's fine. Um, as I read it, the thing that really stu- uh, struck out uh, stuck out to me was uh, recently on my last visit to England to visit my wife's family. I was there for Christmas, and we went to see a pantomime. And rereading this book, it really struck me how similar this book is to a pantomime, which is like really, really clear characters, like over the top. This person is really, truly good. This person is despicably evil. The evil villain is so ridiculous and over the top that they're almost fun and you like them a lot. (laughs) And there's a lot of like joking and camaraderie and kind of like, you know, the adventure is prioritized over everything, even logic. Yeah. And yeah, and I really like I this was rereading this was such a pleasurable experience for me because it really was like in this stressful time. I just got to like sink myself back into a world that I love. I have so much love for. And and if you have young children or if you want to check this out, I was really impressed by how many times Matthias interacts with people 
does not like them, does not get along with them, but always is polite or maybe is snappish and impatient at first, but reins himself in and exercises good manners and how many times that is the thing that saves him. And it's like a, it's a really interesting kind of like value that I think like the book really stresses and the whole world continues to stress, which is that even if you don't like people or if you have a hard time getting along with them, you should be polite and you should be kind to people. And I, you know, that's not like a, it's not unique to Redwall. It's not a unique thing about the story or the world but it's a you know it's a lovely place to spend time if you're into it that's a that's a good point out of curiosity how many stars did you give it five stars <clears throat> five stars <laughs> so we have a two a three a four and a five oh, wow. on this podcast of the four of us what a range all right so here are the questions sam writes how does Clooney feel about being the second most famous Clooney? oh i mean i think if he knew about george he would make a beeline to los angeles and try to take him out yeah. yeah, wherever he might be living. I agree. I don't think he appreciates it, but I do think that George Clooney should start by going by George the Clooney. Or Clooney the George. Clooney the George. All right. Kate writes, how do I get me some nut brown ale while in quarantine? Also, does Clooney just need a hug? <laughs> I don't think Clooney can can accept a hug. <laughs> That's something I think we all forgot to mention is the amazing food description and all. Did you guys at least like that? Because there's that is one thing that does not. I think that's even in subsequent books, there is more description of food than there is in this one. I enjoyed the food description. I was pretty hungry, made pretty hungry by it. Sounded pretty good. I was like, did he have help making these recipes? They sound believable and good. Eh, I'm not a fan of vegetable soup. There, I said it. Oh, Dylan. <laughs> um, Carly Florentine responded to our question with just an emoji of a fork and a knife. So I'm not clear what that means, but... That means she loves the food. she likes the food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, And then the last one, Tanisha says, I'm a six of the way through. I'm curious to know why Clooney is having dreams about the night mouse. Also, what's the recipe for nut bread? Sounds great. (laughs) All right. Well, those are all of our reviews and questions. (laughs) Thank you guys for sending them in. I think, uh, although I feel a little bad for being critical of this book for children, um... I do I do like that we had a wide range of, of reviews. Heck yeah. Yeah. So, Toby, do you have any facts about Brian Jakes? Yeah. So, James Brian Jakes, born on the 15th of June, 1939, and died on the 5th of February, 2011. He was British, and he was best known for the Redwall series, of which there are many books, um, and the Castaways of the Flying Dutchman series, which is a little more middle grade. So, uh, Jakes was born in Liverpool, um, and he was known from a young age by his middle name, Brian, because his uh, father and one of his brothers were also named James. The father I get, the other yeah. brother. Hold up, what? <laughs> bold move. Bold move, Daddy Jakes. <laughs> his father uh, was a big reader and read his sons a lot of adventure stories. Um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Robert Louis Stevenson, Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, The Wind in the Willows. He can see already a lot of those influences on his work. Jakes uh, was interested in writing from an early age. When he was 10 years old, his school told him to write an animal story. He wrote a story about a bird that cleaned a crocodile's teeth, and his teacher said it was too good he could not have written it and caned him for it whoa that's how we encourage creativity in students 
so he attended St. John's School until he was 15. Um, he left school and he uh, became a merchant sailor um, that inspired a lot of his later work. Then we're going to fast forward. He worked a lot of odd jobs. Uh, he was a constable. He was a boxer. He did a bunch of different stuff. But he ended up writing Red Wall. Um, and it's going to make Dylan feel bad because he volunteered at the Royal Wavertree School for the Blind. Uh, he was reading books to blind children. Um, and he found that he was frustrated with the lack of description in children's books other than visual. So uh, a lot of Redwall books feature a lot of smells, a lot of uh, sensations of touch, uh, things you can hear. And so all of the Redwall books are supposed to be engineered towards that kind of aim. He based a lot of uh, the different characters in his later books on people in his life. Uh, in particular, in this book, Constance uh, was based on his grandmother. That means his grandmother rules. Yeah. Basil Stag hair is typical uh, throughout the rest of the series. A lot of hairs basically act like him. And all the hairs in his books um, were based on the antics of the blustery and brave RAF pilots that he encountered um, around Liverpool when he was a young man. Um, so he interacted a lot with them and they were very kind of brave and cheerful and kind of flying in the face of danger. And they had a certain specific way of talking that he imitated um, for the hares. The food in the books comes because his early life was lived out during World War II and he experienced severe rationing. Um, and he remembered reading all of his aunt's illustrated Victorian cookbooks. So literally he'd be starving, you know, all this boring food. And then he had these beautifully illustrated cookbooks with just drawings of feasts in them. Um, and he remembers fantasizing them about them a lot. And then the, to close it all out, there is a Red Wall opera. In 1998, Opera Delaware staged Evelyn Swesson's Red Wall, The Legend of Red Wall Abbey, a two-act musical based on the series' first book. Oh, wow. I want to hear Clooney's arias. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just make it a Clooney rock opera instead? Ooh, yeah, I would listen to that. And that's that's what I got, yeah. Awesome. All right, well, Red Wall by Brian Jakes, mixed reviews, but I gave it three stars. Five stars. <laughs> Four stars. Two All stars. All right, Andrew, uh, do you have a game for us? I do have a game for you. It's called The Old Man and the Red Wall, but Ooh. it's not about that at all. So um, the way this game is going to work, I wanted to switch it up. And I don't know if anyone else has been sort of watching sort of mindless television also a lot during this. Um, but one of the TV shows Jillian and I have been watching a lot together is uh, Love Island. Um, nice. Nice which is not a family appropriate show so I won't go too far into what it is but it's it's a it's a dating television show we have specifically been watching the second season of Love Island Australia and just today we were watching an episode and they played a game about knowing your partner and knowing what they like and since you and you Toby and you Bailey are both very close with Dylan Toby you've been friends with him for a very long time Bailey you're married to him I figured let's see how much you guys know about Dylan oh no okay <laughs> So I emailed him a list of questions. He sent them back. They all have simple answers. And the way it's going to work is I will ask you guys the question and you will both tell me what you think Dylan answered. Okay. Interesting. The questions are all themed about the two books we just read. But, you know, I let I let myself go wild. I really just wanted to have fun with this game because it looked like a lot of fun on the TV show. <laughs> this <laughs> sounds it. like a really fun game. I'm quite intrigued. All right. So I asked Dylan this. What is your favorite fish to eat? As we know, there's a big fish in, in the beginning of Redwall. What do you think Dylan said was his favorite fish to eat? Mm. Let's go to Bailey first on this one. Bailey, what do you think? I'm going to say salmon. Uh, Toby, what do you think? No joke. That was going to be my answer, too. It's very basic, you know. I feel like that's most people's favorite fish, right? Well, is Dylan like most people? <laughs> no. In this one way, he is. Yes, he uh, did answer salmon. So you guys both get a point. Oh, right. yay. I hate this so much. <laughs> 
I thought you were emailing everybody asking them these questions. <laughs> Dylan, shut up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next question. What fish would you most like to turn into? <laughs> what do you think Dylan would most like to turn into? All right, Toby, what do you think? Swordfish. Oh. Bailey? Uh, clownfish. <laughs> you guys are both incorrect. He simply said shark and did not specify what kind <laughs> of shark. <laughs> so no one gets any points. You guys are still tied at 1-1. I actually put swordfish first and then I deleted it and oh. put it shark. <laughs> no. All right. Next question. What animal do you think would be best suited to being a warrior a la Redwall? All right. Bailey? Wallace the cat. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Toby? Uh, I'm going to say shark. <laughs> <laughs> you guys both don't know Dylan Butt at all. He said Falcon. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a good answer. They're, they're used to knights. They fly around. They have sharp talons and stuff. Okay. You're not wrong. It's just... I don't, I don't have to defend myself here. All right. Next question. You guys are both still tied at one. So it turns out you don't know your husband and friend. Uh-oh. Um, but whatever. If you were, say, trapped on a boat for a few days and you could only bring one food, what would you bring? What food would Dylan bring if he was trapped on a boat for a few days? All right, uh, Toby, you go first this time. Japanese snack mix. Okay, Bailey? I'm going to say spatzel. Oh. Spatzel. (laughs) Dylan simply said corned beef. Oh, Oh. I should have thought of that. Which is an awful thing to bring on a boat. That's not going to last on a boat, you fool. It's canned. What are you talking about? (laughs) The the sea falcons are going to come grab it out of your hands. You need protein while you're on a boat. I I do not have to defend this. (laughs) (laughs) Are you wishing you said uh, Japanese snack mix or spatzel, Dylan? Spatzel, yeah, Japanese. Eh, I, 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 I stand by my corned beef choice. Okay, okay, he stands by. He stands by. Okay, maybe this one will spice it up a little bit. What superpower would you most want? All right, Bailey, you get to go first. Um, to be able to transform into different animals. Tobert. I'm gonna say uh, that like the ability to like manipulate time, a la that movie Clock Stoppers, where you can like Ooh. freeze time, then move around really fast and do whatever you want. Dylan said, "Read minds." Oh, oh boo, Dylan. Okay. So you guys still only have one point. <laughs> Bailey's and mine were better answers. <laughs> yeah, your superpowers sound a lot better than reading minds. All right, Desert Island book is what I asked him for this next one. Ooh. Toby, you can go first this time. Catch 22. Ooh. Bailey? Um, the terrorist spy book, How to Break a Terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Toby. Uh, he did say Catch 22. So you have two points. Bailey, you can tie, and we'll think of another way to break the tie if you win this next question. Oh, man. Otherwise, Dylan is now married to me. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, the marriage license transfers to Toby. Uh All right, so this question has a numeric answer, and whoever gets closest to the number he said is correct. Okay. All right. How old is too old for a man to fish alone in the open ocean? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Bailey can go first. I'm going to say 90. I think he he thinks really old. Okay, 90. And we're not doing prices right rules here. It's just going to be literally numerically closer. I'm going to say 50. Toby, you win. Congratulations. Dylan said 69. So you win by one number. Well, that was just... uh. (laughs) Congratulations. You win three to one. Bailey doesn't know her husband at all. Oh, no. Yay. Dylan. Hey, Toby. Love you, boo. Love you, boo. Aw. That's great. I am very ashamed of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations again, Toby. Good win. Good win. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good job, everybody. Okay, now's the time on the podcast where we choose the books at random from our shelves to be read next. 
It is the choosing. The choosing. The choosing. Um, so my book is already chosen. As you guys know, it's the next book on the To Read List Book Club, Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Get it, read it, send us your thoughts. But Andrew gets a new book. Yeah. Can I just say, in this quarantine world we're in, the choosing has like an extra excitement to me <laughs> because I desperately want to know what I get to read next. Yeah. And I also want to encourage everyone to read Daisy Jones and the Six. If you're worried about like not having time to read it, it is incredibly quick. Yeah. I have already like blown through 200 pages of it and I just picked it up the other day. I will jump in and quickly say I have already read Daisy Jones and the Six. Definitely read it. It is not only quick read, it is very like escapist, very fun. I mean, there's serious themes in it, but uh, it's it's a fun book to be. It was a fun book to me. It's engaging and it will take you out of your head for a while. I've also heard really great things about the audiobook, if that's more your speed. Yeah, audiobook is good. That's how I, how I did it. It's a full cast reading. All right, Andrew. So Andrew's pick Ooh. is number 24. Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. Mm. Oh, okay, excellent. That's very cool. I like this book. It's the newish book that, that was well received a few years ago. Loving it. It's great. It's it's about sort of a mysterious death. The author wrote Little Fires Everywhere, which everybody's been watching on Hulu, so there you go. I loved Little Fires Everywhere, but I have not read uh, this one. Well, you have time. That's true. Awesome. So next week on the podcast, we have a mini-sode. We're going over our favorite villains inspired by Clooney the Scourge. And then in two weeks, we have Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid and Toby's reading Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood. Thanks for listening to The To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the to read list podcast and on Twitter at to read list pod. Also, if you like what you heard, please go on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and leave us um, a rating and a review. Um, it really does actually help expand our, our reach. And it's really easy to just click number five, get all four of the other stars filled in. One, two, three, four, five. It's beautiful. It's really satisfying. Can't recommend rating us five stars and leaving a review highly enough. I'd rate that five stars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as always, if you enjoy this podcast, um, please do tell someone in your life uh, who you think would enjoy it as well about the podcast. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. books.